And your coffee tastes like just coffee to me, like regular old coffee. And what is wrong with that? Like it's boring sometimes. It doesn't. It doesn't have enough. I want mm, a little bit real of dirt. dirt flavor. Mm, give me some of that dirt flavor. I want to taste mm, the dirt. Listen, when listen, I listen, listen, listen. I like the beans, <laughs> but give me some of that dirt. Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming. Today we will be talking about Arrival, the 2016 sci-fi movie directed by Denis Villeneuve, adapted from the 1998 novella authored by Ted Chiang. If you are unfamiliar, don't worry, we'll be doing a spoiler-free chat for the first half of our episode. And if you are familiar or you don't really care about spoilers on this particular book and movie combo, stick around. So real quick, we are going to give you a brief summary on the story. There are days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. Signs of what might be called first contact. The objects measure at least... I'm Colonel G.T. Webber from the Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call him, the UFO. So this story uh, centers around Louise, who is a linguist, and she is called uh, to a alien site uh, because several alien ships it's unclear they're basically like giant stones in the short story there's a ton in the movie there are 12 have landed across the earth and uh aliens are interacting with people and so they bring in a linguist because they can't understand what they're saying and louise gets a chance to try and bridge the language gap and as she learns their language it begins to rewire her brain in new and interesting ways and the story unfolds and in the movie it's lots of explosions and excitement in the book it's a little bit more quiet but either way it's super interesting it has a ton to say about uh free will and time and science and language uh it's a real thinker and it's real good you got to think about it you got to think about it yeah we went from uh a goofy, um, you know, goof pants episode last week to a so real serious one. <laughs> Everyone was wearing goof pants. It was it was insane. Yeah, and this time we got our scientist big boy hats on. Oh yeah, now we're adults. We're growing up. Now we're now we're hiding. Yeah, we're our goof educated pants adults, our Samantha. <laughs> we are very clearly, very clearly educated adults. Yeah, we have our our smoking pipe and our um, sweaters on, and we're <coughs> ready to go. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, that was the pipe. That was the pipe jumping into your throat. It was me taking any sort of <laughs> smoke from the pipe and showing how little I I'll smoke. Trade you, <coughs> I'll trade you for, uh, you can have a vape pen and I'll keep the smoking pipe. Oh, do not give me that vape pen. <laughs> nope, too bad. I take, have the I vape, take pen. vape pen and I throw it in the trash. <laughs> how gift. dare you throw away my gift of my vape pen, of my imaginary vape pen. My va- <laughs> This was this vape pen was a representation of my sisterly love, and you just threw it in the trash. It was passed through our families through generations. <laughs> this is our, this was my grandpapa's vape pen. That was grandpapa's. the ancestral wangered vape pen, and you treated it like trash. 
They came over on the boat with this vape pen. Can you know how serious this episode's going to be when we already have a five-minute goof about a vape pen? We're trying to get all our goofiness out for such a serious movie. <laughs> this is going to be about nothing but free will from this point on. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> uh, so, David, uh, I know that you love talking about this movie. What was your first experience with this movie and or story? So, I knew absolutely nothing about this movie. Uh or the story or anything until in 2016 on a whim I decided to go see this movie and then it blew my mind it was <laughs> and you were never the same yeah, it was never the same uh it sparked my love for uh Denis Villeneuve he is now my favorite director making movies right now I am obsessed with all his films he what else does he make has he made he made Blade Runner, which I made you go see. Ooh, uh, yeah, that one was pretty good. The remake. And then he has also made Sicario. Also very good. Also okay, very, I'll give that good. up to you. Yeah. All of these movies I would highly recommend. I can't wait for him to make more movies. Uh, I had no knowledge that this was ever based on a book. Uh, I just knew that I loved this director and... I want to talk about all his movies forever. He is a favorite of the YouTube video essayist. There yes, is yes, tons yes. of videos on all of his movies. I I think we found hit the arrival on a list of books to movies, something on like a BuzzFeed list or something. You're like, we're doing it. I call it. We're doing it. We're definitely doing it. Oh, and yeah. it's been oh, on yeah. our list for a while. So I was thinking about it. This might be my favorite movie from last decade. It's pretty good. I can't really think of a movie I like more right now. I may eat my words later, but it I think it is my favorite movie from the previous. It was pretty. I think this is only the set. I I did the same where I thought it was an alien invasion movie, and I'm not super about that. But when it came out, it got such good reviews and I really love Amy Adams. So I went and saw it kind of on a whim, too. And the same thing happened where I was like, wait a second, this movie is about stuff not just explosion um but i hadn't really seen it since i think i maybe saw it twice when it came out like within the year that it came out yeah and so this was the first time i rewatched it and it was nice having read the short story because i was really prepared to like know everything and pay attention to everything and it's really interesting the movie is is super enjoyable and the the short story is pretty interesting too so it's a pretty good adaptation yeah, and I would say if you haven't read this story or watched the movie and you are a little bit afraid of spoilers, we are going to be light on the spoilers during our non-spoiler section. We're going to try to be as good as possible. But I will say this is one of those stories that going in blind is really, really nice. And I kind of really recommend fun. it. Yeah. yeah, it's also really hard to talk in depth about it without talking about the spoilers. Yeah, so just kind of keep that in mind moving forward. Uh, but Amanda, tell me a little bit about the book's history. Yeah, so the it is a short story called Story of Your Life. Um, they changed the title because uh, the director thought it was good. it sounded more like a rom-com. It does sound like a rom-com. I it do does, not like the title of the short story. It, the, the title definitely makes sense after you read the story, but uh, – 
Yeah, that's the original title. It won the Nebula Award for Best Novella in uh, 2000, as well as the 1999 Theater Sturgeon Award. So it's, it's And it was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Novella, too. Uh, so it has a lot of love around it. It got yeah. a lot of hype when it came out. It was translated into Italian, French, and German. Hey. Uh, yeah, Chang is a New York native. Both of his parents were born in China mainland and immigrated to Taiwan with their families during the China Chinese Communist Revolution before immigrating to the U.S. So lots of history there. Um, and he has written tons of short stories and won a ton. They've all won a ton of awards. So he spent basically his career teaching and then writing short stories. So That's interesting. It's crazy because I love short stories and I have no idea how I've never read any of his yeah his short stories are uh, we get the a collection of his short stories to do this podcast and they're pretty good i would definitely recommend going through the rest of them i think you'd really like them oh i have been it's like it has been my comfort food the past couple days because yeah they're very interesting stories yeah uh he wrote that the inspiration for story of your life came from his fascination with the variential principle in physics which he talks about in the short stories in particular and it's a little bit spoilery so we'll come back to that later uh you did not know when you were signing up for this podcast that we were going to talk about linguistics and physics but that is what we're doing our, our dumb dumbs are gonna. Our dumb dumb brains are gonna try and tackle that today. <laughs> to be fair, we it's an Oscar nominated movie that talks about linguistics and language. So it's kind of like the, the, the nerdy Ford force, and I'm ready for it. I know, I love it. Uh, he spent five years researching and familiarizing himself with linguistics before attempting to write this story. So, and it definitely shows. He definitely oh, see, yeah. he definitely knows his stuff in it. Uh, but those are the super nerdy book facts. Dave, you got some movie facts from your favorite movie of all time? Yes. Also, don't say <laughs> it's my favorite movie of all time. I don't want that out there. Favorite um, movie of the decade? I don't. Last decade of the 2010s. It's a oh very specific award. <laughs> uh, cool. So the screenwriter, Eric uh, Heiserer, uh, was introduced to this story and wrote a screenplay for it. And he spent forever trying to get someone, anyone, to adapt this story. Uh, he has this great anecdote. He told this on a podcast called The QA with Jeff Goldsmith. I'd actually recommend it. It He does a lot of interviews with filmmakers and screenwriters. And I listened to the podcast that he did with this screenwriter. And it was incredibly interesting on how this film was made. Uh, but he says that oftentimes directors would or uh, producers would be like, hey, why don't you give us like, what is the project that you would always want to write or mm -hmm. be a part of? And he was like, I always wanted to adapt this short story about language and linguistics. They're, and they were like, oh, OK, so there's an alien invasion. He's like, well, no, they don't exactly invade. And they're like, so they just talk to each other. He's like, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> oh, no. So it was kind of stuck in limbo for a while. And it wasn't until he had success with another movie that he was able to get other people on board and Denis Villeneuve jumped on it because he likes projects that are quote unquote, like, like screenplays that are easily adaptable for his style. And he mm -hmm. had always wanted to do a sci-fi movie. So he jumped on top of this. Chiang was actually very involved in the screenwriting process. Uh, Eric Heiser went to him and, uh, pitched him a lot of the changes that were made in this movie and he approved all of them. And so he is, yeah, he has said that he thinks it's 
the rarest of rare in that it is both a good movie and good adaptation. And when considering the track record of adaptions from science fiction, that is almost literally a miracle. That's a direct yeah. quote from him. Yeah. Uh, so he's a big fan of this, um, despite the fact that they did make a good amount of changes. But I think they kept the core of his uh, story still intact uh, with the adaptation. Uh, the movie actually initially had a slightly different ending that maybe we can go into uh, during the spoiler section. But after viewing know. 2014's Interstellar, they found some similarities within the changes. I did see and that. Yeah. Yeah. So they stuff. had yeah. to make changes to the ending. And in my opinion, it made the movie for the better for a lot of reasons. Uh, it was also nominated for nine Academy Awards, including Best Picture, but only one for sound design. The, but the sound was really cool. The sound was really good. Uh, you know why, though? Why? It was because it was going up against La La Land and Moonlight. Ooh, that was that year. What a year to be around. Yeah, yeah not a great year to be around because those two movies pretty much took most uh, of the nominations or most of the wins. And you know what else it was up against that year that won all like the production uh, awards? Is this 2016? This is uh, technically the 2017 Oscars for the 2016 movies. Got it. Okay. What was it? It was Mad Max Fury Road. And Mad Max, also one of my favorite movies, took all the production. Uh, If it would have come out the year before, it was up against some stinkers. It definitely could have done... It definitely could have ran the house on everything, but unfortunately, all these amazing movies were released that year. So, yeah, yeah. kind of a stacked year. Kind of a stacked stacked year. year, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, let's jump into our spoiler free discussion now. Amanda, what did you think of this story? I thought it was really interesting. Like you said, it's not, this isn't going to spoil anything, but it's not an alien invasion. Uh, they show up and they kind of just want to have discussions with everybody and everybody freaks out. <laughs> yes. Uh, because it's, it's difficult not only learning a, to communicate in a language, first of all, a fo- like a completely foreign language that they have no basis on uh, because the aliens are not humanoid they don't even have mouths really in the movie um and in the book they can't really tell where their mouths are or if they use them to talk um so not only are there like a ton of language gaps there but the entire time especially in the movie they're trying to understand their intentions and they're just projecting their own intentions onto these aliens nonstop. and there's mm-hmm. a really interesting story going on where they are trying to understand the aliens that they call heptopods. And then they are also trying to work together around the world to deal with this situation. And it's very good storytelling and very interesting. And at the same time, there's this little personal story going on with Louise, our main character. And that's, it's just smart. It's just all around. It's super interesting it's a very real it feels like a very realistic situation when it's about aliens visiting our planet really yeah it had a much more realistic take on how people would react and freak out yeah. to if something like this would actually happen mm-hmm. what did you think about the story david 
So, okay, I, it's no stranger if you can already tell that I love this story. I have never read the book, but like the biggest commonality that I found when I revisited both of them is how much it evoked questions and feelings on things like communication and life, which when I say it sounds like this <laughs> big brain bloated yes. mess of a, a of 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 corniness but that's the thing is this never feels cheap it doesn't feel corny and it's it also, so effective at evoking those emotions yeah. that i always wanted more it also doesn't feel like it's some highbrow foreign film either that you can't like grasp it feels very relatable for the things that it's trying to tackle which is interesting yeah, it never feels like it's talking down mm-hmm. to you in either adaptation. So I I loved it for those reasons. I still occasionally will just like think about some of the, the questions the story proposes mm-hmm. because they're very interesting like thought experiments to go down. Yeah, well, one of the, the core themes of the story is the idea in ling- linguistics that the way that you know language and learn language can wire your brain a certain way. So there's this really interesting scene in the movie where they find out that one of the countries has been trying to communicate through playing Mahjong with them through games. And uh, they're like, well, if they discuss it and they're like, well, if if the only way that you're communicating is through a game with winners and losers and losses and wins, that dictates the way that you're talking to them. It becomes a different kind of conversation. I thought that was super interesting. The way this movie makes you think about communication, yeah. like I never – you don't think as much about like how you talk in the way that you talk, wires on your feelings – and what you think about things. It's such, again, it made me look at language in a completely different way that made linguistics seem cool. Yes. <laughs> I want to study linguistics now. What? Yeah, I went, so I went to school for English and I took linguistics and grammar and things like that. And I vividly remember the first time that it kind of clicked in my brain that language is a complete construct and a reflection of the culture that it's in. And so there are things about English that's very um, uh, American English that's very American. There are things about British English that's very British and things like that. And I had this same moment where it's I think it's super crazy that the random sounds that are coming out of my mouth, we have somehow given meaning to so that you in your brain can accept them and form thoughts about it and then project back at me your random words and sounds. Uh so, yeah, it, like, brought me right back to, like, being in college and being like, whoa, the world is way bigger than I thought it was. A college of Maina's mind getting blown. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so what are some things that you specifically loved about the short story? I loved all of the nerd stuff in the short story. So there's a whole bunch of things that yeah, he does. he goes deep into he nerds. Goes deep into nerds. He goes deep into like the process that they go through uh, for teaching the heptopods a way to communicate back at them and the way that they understand their written language versus their spoken language. And I remember watching the movie and there's this portion in the middle of the movie where Jeremy Renner just does a voiceover that kind of summarizes 
basically all of that in the book. And I remember in the movie being like, no, I want to see what they do. I want to see the thing. I want to see the process that they're going through. And so it was really fun reading the book because it gave, it gives you all of that. And I know we aren't sell. it doesn't sound like we're selling it very hard. It sounds like you're going to dive into the short story and it's like a textbook. It's definitely not. It's still like a very easy to digest story. Well, that section of the story specifically reminds me of another book, The Martian, mm-hmm. because in The Martian, uh, they sp- they specifically go through his problem solving uh, skills and how he's kind of tackling his survival in an unsurvivable situation. And that's what I loved about this story is that it was able to have these like crazy complex linguistic ideas uh, told in a in a way that's trying to solve this problem of communicating with aliens, and it made it incredibly interesting to read. Uh, if again, it was like educating, like we were doing with Percy Jackson when we yeah. were learning about Greek mythology, but this time it's about complex complex linguistic theory. Yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but we are a couple of nerds over here. Amanda just pushed her glasses way <laughs> up her head and went into like the back of her mm-hmm. eyes. She pushed it so mm-hmm. hard. That's where they belong. Um, one of my favorite parts of the movie, we're going to shift over into talking about the movie, is uh, – Can I go on a quick soapbox? What's your soapbox? Okay. And this is uh, – because I forgot by reading this story how much I love short stories. People do not read short stories enough. Every year I buy like two collections of short stories and I read through them. And I love them. I feel like short stories are kind of like the 25-minute – or 30-minute drama on Netflix, where I feel like I can get through really quick ideas and stories that people wouldn't have time to or don't have enough content to explore in a longer book. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I think short stories are awesome. I think more people should read them, and I think there should be more big authors writing them because I love them so much. Okay. That's all. I just wanted to give a shout-out to short stories. (laughs) Uh, I agree. I think – I think it's hard sometimes for short stories because you think the commitment would be less, but I think because there's more, people are daunted by them. Like when you buy a book of short stories, it's like 25 stories you have to read through. So I get it. Um, but I agree. I think when short stories are done well, it's it's really it's a really great thing to digest. I've had short stories impact me just as hard as novels. Mm-hmm. So fully recommend, please. <laughs> Read short stories. I All right, them. so that's your bookish soap, soapbox for the day. I don't have a lot of bookish yeah. rants. No, even but I will put the praises of short stories. I think I I think it just comes from like especially my short experience writing. Mm-hmm. So I used to write a ton, and I loved writing short stories. Mm-hmm. I never maybe it's because I never had a good idea for something longer, but I felt like short stories were always like my sweet spot. I get you. Yeah. Anyway, now we can talk about the movie. Of course, the thing that I really want to talk about. But I just had to give that quick short uh, soapbox on. Yeah, I got stories. Uh, My favorite part from the movie is when um, the general played by Forrest Whitaker. I think he's a colonel, actually. He is giving Luis a hard time about the the language she's trying to – the language gap she's trying to communicate with the heptapods uh, because she has to submit a list of words for approval by the government, which is also super realistic. Um, but so she defends it and she writes, you know, on the, on a whiteboard, 
what they really want to ask, which is what is your purpose on earth or something like that. And uh, she breaks the sentence down being like, well, we have to make sure they understand possession. That We have to make sure they understand, you know, plural versus singular. When we talk about you, we have to make sure uh, they understand, um, you know, intentionality behind, you know, purpose, not just like your sole purpose, but, you know, your intentions for what you want to have to happen, blah, blah, blah. And she breaks down this whole sentence and it just reminded me of my grammar class back in college again. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just an interesting way to look at language. Cause like you said, you don't, we have been taught how to communicate a certain way and we're not always very critical of it or think very deeply about it. And so it was very cool to see it just displayed there on that whiteboard and they go back to that image over and over again throughout the movie and I think it's really good yeah actually a quick fun fact from that is initially that scene was not in the original screenplay it was added later because they wanted to show each individual part being taught to the aliens but it kind of broke up the pace of the movie and so he was brainstorming with some screenwriters on how to adjust the script and they were like, well, what are you trying to communicate? And then he wrote down that sentence and he was like, well, I want to communicate this. And here's why we need to communicate this and this and this. And it turned into that scene. Yeah. And they were just like, put that in the movie. Perfect. That makes so much more mm-hmm. sense. So my main love of this movie is Denis Villeneuve's uh, filmmaking is incredible. I, you'll see this in every single movie he makes, but he has this certain style that evokes a lot of emotions because it's the pairing of like his cinematography, the score along with the slow pace of his filmmaking. He's not a like afraid to really slow things down. Uh, so in this movie, there is a lot of scenes in the beginning Um specifically with them kind of being introduced to these aliens for the first time that are just absolutely incredible. They're slow moving. You get these feelings of of fear, Mm -hmm. but awe of like, you're, you're just as afraid and, and awestruck as the characters are going through it. And it brought so much more depth to the entire movie because he was able to bring a lot of emotion to a movie that's about language. Uh, and I think he gets a lot of kudos for that because I don't think a lot of directors would be able to nail that. Yeah, it's a very different alien story because you're not really meant to be afraid of these aliens, but they're so different and they are they are so alien to us. Um, absolutely nothing about them makes sense at all. And so the entire, especially the first introduction to actually seeing the heptapods is very scary, but not in like a jump scare way in a, in, like you said, a very awe, a very curious invoking way. uh, That's so different than any other alien movie I've ever seen. And I think what's so interesting is that he was able to take this theme of the emotions that you put onto these aliens aren't necessarily what they're putting out. It's just a reflection of how we feel. And it was a perfect representation. Not only that, but I think like the, some of the artistic decisions of this movie, like the, how the language is displayed, like the alien language is super cool. Mm -hmm. I, it's such a good design. The alien design is is super creepy, and the way they communicate through this like foggy screen, 
it it adds so much more mystery to the film. Um, so his filmmaking, top notch. I love it. I love it's it. It's so very much. beautiful. Yeah, I don't normally notice that kind of thing, but the cinematography was incredible. Just the the scene, the very simple change uh, that we will talk about, spoiler free. Um, from in the story, they have a glass mirror essentially that they're looking for. It's just a long oh, mirror. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a piece of plastic or glass that comes down to the and it's in the ground and they communicate that way. And in the movie, it's different. It's this huge ship thing that's like this huge circle thing that they have to enter in order to talk to them. Um and just having that image on the horizon, it's one of the things I remember from the marketing specifically because it's such a striking image and it's it do- does a lot to invoke those emotions that you feel throughout the entire first third of the movie just from that image. And so I thought it was, it was super, super interesting choices on that end and really well shot. And like there's simple things he does that sort of adds to that feeling like he always if you'll notice in the background, he has that ship everywhere. It's always looming over Mm -hmm. them. It's always like this dark figure that's just terrorizing the entire movie and is threatening to us. But it doesn't necessarily give out the signs that it's threatening. It's just there and people have to deal and freak out with their own emotions and how they feel with it. Uh, I not to go into too many spoilers, but also his the way he films this movie plays into some reveals Mm -hmm. and story beats that I didn't like the first time I saw this movie blew me away. Um, So I would highly recommend not listening to the spoiler section that we were were about to go into for those reasons. I will say too, when I was reading the story, uh, I was curious to see how it would translate to screen uh, just because so much of the story is from within Louise's perspective and the way she is mm-hmm. uh, reflecting on the things around her in her own life. And the shifts are very subtle within the story itself. And so I was really interested to see how it would translate onto actually being a screen without there being like basically narration the entire time. And they managed to do it incredibly well. Yeah. Yes. Yes, they yeah. did. So let's, uh, let's, Going to our recommendations, Amanda, would you recommend people watching this movie? I 100% would, actually. I, in a rare stroke, I would actually recommend people watch the movie before they read the short story. I'd 100% agree with that. I think that the story the story adds a lot of layers that you don't get from the movie. However, I think the movie adds certain extra drama elements as well as a better way of portraying certain reveals in the movie that I think it's worth seeing the movie before reading the book, even though they are both fantastic. I had kind of forgotten what the reveal was by the time I read the story. And for this podcast, I read the story before reading the book. And I think the, the understanding the reveal from the movie was a little bit more satisfying than understanding the reveal from the book. So I would definitely say movie first, then book, but recommend them both. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So my recommendation is also read the book. Okay. So let's talk. Let's dive in even deeper into why we want you to read and watch this uh, in our spoiler section. 
We need to make sure that they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Language is messy and sometimes one can be both. Are you dreaming in their language? It's possible they're prodding us to fight among ourselves. This is just a way to force us to work together for once. It's more complicated than that. How is it more complicated? Russia just executed one of their own to keep their secret. Uh, so David, what to you are the most jarring or surprising changes from this adaptation, book to movie? Yeah, I think the most interesting change for me is the, you know, we talked before about how they reduced the amount of aliens that came down mm -hmm. in the book. It was something like a couple hundred in the movie. It's only 12 and they're alien ships and they go to random countries. And so what's much, what's much more interesting about this movie is that it adds this extra layer of drama of world conflict yeah. that everyone is trying to figure out what these aliens are saying at the same time. And everyone has different methods and there's a lot of countries that aren't communicating with other countries. And so there's this whole subplot of humanity freaking out that's really really interesting yeah in in the in the book the book is a lot more about louise and the way this shift in her reality changes her life uh or the way that she sees her life is more accurate and it just so happens to be alien base uh in the movie it has a lot more to say about the way we operate on a global level as humans. And I think that adds a layer of interest to it. Um, and it makes it just a little bit more believable. Everybody in the story is a little bit, there's hints at certain dramas, um, but you don't experience them. In the movie, it's, it's like the main source of conflict uh, because essentially half of the world is getting ready to try to blow up these ships <laughs> and nobody yes. is communicating with each other uh, because they all assume that people are holding back information or you know nobody wants to share too much information because they're worried about getting something first from these aliens it's essentially like a, a super intense arms race with aliens technology and that's super interesting uh, so I think it becomes Especially in in the the time we live in today, it is quite yeah. To, to give people some context, we are currently, especially for future listeners, uh, in the early days of a coronavirus sort of quarantine mm -hmm. type deal, where we're mostly staying at home right now. So this world conflict of people coming together hit a little bit closer was, to home than I was. It expecting. was a little, yeah. We we have been hearing nonstop stories about uh, toilet paper shortages and people both oh, not yeah. taking it seriously and taking it too seriously. And so it it definitely felt like something that could be happening literally right now. <laughs> It didn't. I was shocked by how relevant that part of the movie felt yeah. for me because it that I'll tell you straight up that did not hit. No, as in twenty sixteen, early twenty sixteen. No, things were a little bit different then, weren't Ooh, they? <laughs> things were a little bit different. Yes, things were very different then. Along with some of the international conflict, there's also like domestic mm -hmm. conflict of people in America debating on whether or not these aliens are here for the right reasons, and so there's this other subplot of. Uh, basically 
America debating on whether or not we can trust these things and people freaking out and ready to riot because it's not like this lasts only a couple days or a couple months. This is supposedly lasting a very long time, like close to a year's worth of time of trying to understand these aliens and everyone on Earth not really understanding how to cope with it. Yeah, or being critical of their government for not coping with it differently. And there's this entire subplot in there, too, where some soldiers blow up the inside of the ship, and it's implied that it causes one of the heptapods' deaths. And and I think the expectation – of how we would react in that situation is then projected onto these aliens. And they just assume that, well, they're getting ready to attack us or, you know, whatever. Uh, And so a lot of it has to do with the drama of us projecting our own fears onto these things that really aren't reacting at all the way that we would expect a human to react, which is super interesting. At all. Yeah. Now, another big change that I wanted to talk about Uh, And this is a change that the screenwriter talked a lot about uh, in the podcast that I had mentioned before is that uh, uh, so so to go into a little bit about the big reveal, uh, the aliens came down to give humans a gift and the gift ends up being this language, because once you start to understand the language, you start to view time differently as nonlinear versus linear Mm -hmm. in both the book and the movie kind of cope with Louise uh, dealing with this change in her life. The flashbacks are revealed not to be flashbacks, but now flash forwards. Uh, And she can now sort of hop through time in a weird way to gather information. Um, So one of the big changes they made from this is in the book, they suggest that uh, heptopods sort of go through this language um, and understand the future and use their vocal language as a more of a performative thing. Like when you would be getting married, you would say, I do. You know you're going to say I do. At least I hope you <laughs> say I do. Um, and everyone expects you to say it, uh, but you say it because it's performative. Mm-hmm. You know it's going to happen, and you do it sort of out of respect for this thing. And that's how heptopods view spoken language. They know what's going to happen, but they say things in a performative right. way. And so it's it's implied that there is not as much free will per se, but it's it's more so that people sort of understand even if they don't feel the emotions of that moment yet, they understand what's going to happen. In the movie, it's implied that Louise has free will. Mm-hmm but still chooses to have a kid knowing that that kid is going to die from something that they can't change. I would argue against that. I don't, I don't think that's exactly what it is. And and the only reason why I say this is because the screenwriter actually talked to uh, uh, Chang about this and he approved that it would be more impactful if she had free will, but chose to do it. anyway. I think, I think this is a rare, like we talked about earlier, it's a rare moment where, the choices, the different choices they made on the screen still reflect the heart of what was in the short story. So in the short, in the short story, um, they have a physics principle that they have their first breakthrough where the heptopods understand it and they communicate about it. Um, 
where it is about the refraction of light in water. And there are two theories about it where light either always takes the shortest route or it, it takes the longest route. Um, and so it's a variable of those principles. And both are true at the same time. And so one, it is either that light knows the end distance and is choosing the path it will take before it takes it, or it is going linearly and choosing the shortest path. And those are two uh, different, essentially, perspectives on the same theory. And in the book, it talks about how they are both true at the same time, and none is more true than the other. It just depends on how you're looking at it. And I think that is translated very well into the movie because she yes, does yeah. have a moment where she sees kind of the future in front of her and she has the quote free will to choose whether or not to do it. And she, she sees it as being too important not to do those things. And so she does choose it, but it's almost like she would have always chosen it anyway. Um, so it's not really that she doesn't have free will in one perspective and she does have free will in the other is that both are existing at the exact same time, which is super interesting. And that's why this movie is so fun to think about because that is what that is what I try to grasp my mind around yeah. all the time is like is she is having like these two seemingly contradictive thought experiments kind of combined together and make sense. Mm -hmm. And I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree that both are present at the same yeah. time. Um, I think it makes for a much more interesting story because of that. Having that be the heart of this story is why. I would never want somebody to wander into our spoiler section without having experienced it first, because I think you want you want to experience it, think about it, and then come talk about it. I would never want it spoiled beforehand, so I really hope nobody wandered in here accidentally. Uh, I think so too, because <laughs> that that is the, the like, and the reason why this reveal works so well in the movie is because we are trained to think in the beginning mm -hmm. of the movie that if we see something happen and then we see a person sad walking after those uh, cuts, that that must be their yes. past. That must They must be dealing with the grief of their past. And then it's revealed that, no, she is not grieving. Those images have nothing to do with each other later yeah. on. And it's just such smart well, it's also it and also it drives the point. Yeah, it also very much seems like she is haunted by these by these mm -hmm. scenes with her daughter as she's going through the process of learning this language. And there's this shift in the middle where um, something from her present day, uh, her daughter's asking her a question about a certain term, and then it shifts back and. Jeremy Renner is using that term and then it shifts back to the scene with her daughter and she tells her what the term is. And it's the first moment where the timeline doesn't, the timeline feels flipped. It doesn't super, it stops mm -hmm. making sense as something that happened in the past and starts feeling like something that hasn't happened yet. And it's a very good, it happens in the story in a very similar way. And I think it was a very good, uh, Add a, a very good representation on the screen for that same moment uh, because you're like, wait a second. It doesn't, it doesn't reveal everything, but it's the first time you're like, hold up. That's weird. Why'd that happen like that? Yeah. 2016 David's m mind was blown <laughs> in that moment. Like that was the moment where I was like, wait a second. 
and I had to think back about the movie while I was watching mm-hmm. it, and it completely blew my well, mind. Well, and it definitely – you can definitely figure it out beforehand because of the way the heptapods are giving you language. They say at the beginning that there's no – there's no like start to a sentence. There's no end to a sentence. It's just all in the same moment in this circle. Everything in their language, everything written in a sentence is in a the same circle. It's just represented differently each time. It yeah. feels like a buck wild way to communicate, but it seems crazy it's cool looking. So <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest thing I want. I swear this, the design of their language is it's pretty cool. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. So let's talk about the most important change they made to the movie, Amanda. Okay. They changed the uh, second scientist name from (laughs) Gary to Ian. What a wild thing. I just thought that was funny, Um, especially because poor Jeremy Renner has like nothing to do this entire movie. (laughs) I do kind of feel bad. He's mostly like exposition man. He's definitely like uh, exposition man and romantic interest object (laughs) that's it halfway through this movie i watched this with my husband halfway through the movie he's like what does that guy do why is he here (laughs) and i was like fair So initially initially they had him much more involved but they actually cut a lot of scenes which i think it's fair there's this there's this incredible scene it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where jeremy renner uh explains the idea of this entire movie where language informs the way that you think and he's explaining this theory to Louise. And then halfway through this, it's revealed that she's in some weird dream sequence because instead of talking to Forrest Whitaker, she turns and there's a heptopod. And it it is it is terrifying. It it was scary for me when I was in the theater. Uh, fun fact, that scene was initially not in the screenplay. They made that screen in the edit mm. because they realized they wanted to change the pacing and just took a regular scene when they were talking to each other and turned it into a terrifying dream That's sequence. Hilarious. And I... I yeah. love it. I loved it. Uh, but also they changed it from Gary to Ian because the screenwriter thought Gary sounded like a terrible name. And I agree I mean, with him. I agree with Gary's him. Gary's not a great name. name. <laughs> I don't. Sorry, Gary's of the world, but I most associate you with I do think snail. Jeremy Renner weirdly looks like a Gary. So it's, it's what <laughs> yeah. it is. But yeah. yeah I'd say Jeremy is a Jeremy, Gary, close yeah. enough. <laughs> Any other changes you wanted to talk about? I mean, I think the big change uh, is just like the the Hollywood sheen that the movie gets because not only is it just a little bit more dramatic, the climax is very exciting. I love that guy who plays um the the guy who's in charge of China. I freaking love that guy. Um, oh, yes, but great. It, so it's a little bit more exciting. Um, but that the heptapods came to give them something specifically, and it's almost like they gave humanity a giant puzzle. And everybody gets a handful of pieces and they have to all work together like children to put it together. <laughs> which uh-huh. is which uh-huh. is a great like movie message. In the book, they just came to like communicate and like check us out like in a zoo and then they just left. Uh, which I also think is very interesting. I think it works for the short story. Uh, I kind of like, I don't know, it feels a little, a little bit borderline campy for me in the movie that they're like you have one of 12 for the tools blah 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 talk to each other yeah um but i get it and i think it's it's still a very relevant message to today when we're all trying to figure out how to do something together in this world i mean it weirdly feels relevant in the time that we are in right now definitely so 
<laughs> so initially, uh, I, I said I would talk about this in the spoiler section. Initially, the gift that the aliens were going to give them is like knowledge of a ship to leave mm-hmm. Earth. Uh, then they realized that Interstellar had basically the same ending. Like literally the same ending, way. yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they ended up changing it to the fact that in a couple thousand years, they would have to use this knowledge of time to somehow save the heptapods. Uh, and the reason that they made this change is because they felt it would weird. It's like a weird message to be like, here you go, humans. Here's a way to leave Earth after you destroy yeah. it. Uh, and I think because of that, I think it's a more effective ending so than Interstellar, personally. Yeah. So I thought it was a good change, right change. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a cool change. And it keeps the story focused on the language, which is what it's about from beginning to end. Uh, so Amanda, is there any changes you would make to this story at all? No, I thought it was good. Yeah, same. This is going to be the quickest time we've ever... Yeah. Like, there's... I think it's just such a tight story. I think all the changes that were made and the additditions made sense for the movie. I do have a nitpick. If Let's we can jump it. to nitpicks. Um, I thought the most unrealistic part of the story was that the U.S. was not the first country to try and blow up one of these things. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised there wasn't a single country that was like, nope, we're just bombing it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I mean, that's basically that's basically what China decides to do. They like kind of lose it. They lose patience with it. They like miscommunicate something between them. They're like, nope, we're shutting everything down. We're just going to explode it out of the sky. We're doing it now. And then a bunch of other countries are like, well, if China's doing that, we're doing it too. For sure, the U.S. would have been the first country. Yeah, to we would have been the first up. to announce that we're blowing it up. 100%. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> I don't see, I don't, I think, you know, one part of the movie that I, I initially thought was unrealistic is Forrest Whitaker in this movie is this annoying presence because he's constantly asking them why, 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 and asking them for yeah. things that like when I hear it, I'm like, well, duh, they need to do this. We're trying to communicate with aliens. Right. But in reality, that's what like a, like a colonel or like anyone in the military, they probably have like a lot of pressure from our government being like. People are freaking out. We need to know if we need to blow this thing up or not. Well, and I think the tension between learn from them, but don't let them learn too much about us is very interesting and exactly what it would have been like if this actually happened. Exactly. So I forgive Forrest Whitaker for being annoying. Now, I think he's supposed to be annoying. My nitpick is that there are there is this entire subplot about, you know, the U.S. kind of freaking out whether or not they want to blow this thing up. And there is a soldier that eventually turns and puts a bomb that eventually kills one of the heptapods and starts shooting people below the pods while Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner go up to talk with the aliens. But the way they show this turn is that he is talking he is he's watching a video on his laptop in his quarters playing like conspiracy youtube videos at full blast with no headphones in with no what are you doing <laughs> and like there's just it's people just like walking on his, by it's just like he's like in the bunker on his cot and people are just like hanging out and it's just like fox news at full blast <laughs> Uh, you think there would be, like, I don't know, a rule in that place being, like, no outside communication, no, like, watching news? No, this dude's just, like, black, and, like, there's so many people, and there's, like, a soldier behind him nodding, like, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, give me that bloodthirst. Let's blow some aliens up. I also thought how funny, how, ma- how, many, how many riots were happening. Like, so many people were looting all the time. <laughs> 
<laughs> all the time. I mean, I feel like, again, maybe our current world has not had enough weeks to adjust to the point where we come to looting yet. So maybe that part of the movie will become relevant later. I on. know. Maybe we will eat our words in two months yeah, when the yeah, great, don't the great loot things. of the U.S. will happen. <laughs> Uh, so can I tell you about my favorite quote of the movie? I laughed yes. so hard when this happened. Uh, yes. so near the end of the movie, when, uh, the aliens have sent a message that, uh, th- something about a weapon, like use weapon is the message that they got from them or give weapon. Uh, so everyone is freaking out because we understand weapon as something dangerous and the aliens do not. And Luis is trying to explain that to them. Um, and then there is a dude who just plays the annoying voice in the room the entire movie. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Says something like, you know, we have to keep this and this. We have to pay attention to the aliens and blah, 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 blah. We need to blow them up. And Louise, just in like, in like the most cathartic thing she could possibly say, says, why do I have to talk to him right now? And yeah, I he's not died. even mean about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, why is this person even here? Like, have you ever felt like that? You're with like someone who very clearly has no idea what they're talking about. And they're just like, why do I have to talk to him? Like, yeah. this is the most unre- – and I – it felt nice. I was like, I've wanted you to say that this entire <laughs> film. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, any other last-minute things you want to talk about the movie? No, I thought it was very fun. Uh, it's a very good think piece uh, without it feeling like you have to push a bunch of boulders up the, up the hill. <laughs> yeah. It just, it's just interesting. It's Highly recommended. Go watch it. Go read it. Uh, that'll wrap us up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you get automatically updated when new episodes come out wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We're still pretty new. So if you enjoy anything we talked about in the last hour, please leave us a review and tell your friends. And if you do, we'll give a little something back to you. We're going to include you in one of our goofs, which is forcing David to read your review, no matter how long it is or how many strange things you put in it. I don't know why people aren't taking more advantage of this. Um, we will make David read that out loud on the podcast, recorded for everybody, and I will pick something funny for him to say it in. Amanda, please tell me you do not want me to read this next review in Heptapod, because if you tell no, me that, that's... if they sound like whales, it would just be like, oh, you do sound like whales. Oh, now I kind of want you to do it in a whale voice, but I may save that for our next episode. Uh, I want you to read our review as a um, general trying to wake us all up for our morning runs. Oh, okay. Gosh. All right. Our morning put, drills. Put my Forrest Whitaker hat on right now. Who's that guy from, uh, what was that movie with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt and they changed the names a bunch of times? Uh, live. It was initially Live, Die, Repeat. Or no, it became Live, Die, Repeat. It's Edge of Tomorrow. Gosh, what a terrible name, though. <laughs> I want you to absolutely. I want you to read. That's who it is. I want you to read. <laughs> read this review like Bill Paxton from Live Die Tomorrow. Oh my God, <laughs> Master Sergeant Farrell. <laughs> well, guess the what? best now, part of that movie. <laughs> I have to look up another YouTube click, just like I had to do for three PO. All right, this review is from Lauren Hennessy. She's a friend of the pod. Thank you, Lauren. We're gonna read your review. A perfect mix if you love to laugh or adore indulging yourself in movies and books. Then you're in the right place. That's it. It was thankfully a very short review. 
Thank you, Lauren. Oh, that was really uncomfortable. Thank you, Lauren. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, uh, you can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are at AdaptedPod on all those platforms. Uh, you can also send us suggestions on what we should talk about next by shooting us an email at stuff at AdaptedPod.com. Special thanks to Catlo for our intro and outro music. You are listening to the track Astoria Ditmars. You can listen to more of Catlo on Spotify. And also just... Just quick little side note. I know a lot of people are kind of freaking out this time right now. You know, like I said bit. earlier, people are a little scared right now. We uh, we do this uh, sort of out of pocket for ourselves. You know, we mm-hmm. typically don't want to ask people for money. I personally don't really feel comfortable like that right now. But one thing that you could help us out a ton right now is just telling a friend about us. That would mean yeah. the world to us. Yeah, that'd be super fun. Just tell them to your favorite book or movie lover. Yeah, we got a a plethora of episodes to choose from in many genres and many things and some fun stuff sprinkled in between. So hopefully you guys find something you like. Have them listen share. to Holes. Holes is still my favorite episode that nobody Even stopped to. yelling at people about Holes. <laughs> I loved Holes so much. I got to do a music number. It was great. It was pretty fun. Yeah. Plus revisiting old Disney Channel is always fun. It's always fun. So, Amanda, what are we consuming next? We are going to read and watch The Life of Pi. This is a listener request uh, by our good friend Val. Thank you, Val. Thank you, Val. I miss hanging out with you, Val. Uh, Glad you are a listener and suggesting fun stuff for us to read and watch. Uh, So we will be doing Life of Pi next. Uh, tune in next time to hear all about how we rate that adaptation. Until then, keep your friends close and your aliens closer. Mm, wise sage <laughs> advice. Wise sage advice. Until then, remember to be the first one to blow up the aliens. Don't wait till other people blow up the aliens. No. You've got to be the first. You want to be the first. You want to be on the map as the first alien blower <laughs> Sage upper. advice. React first. Think later. <laughs> Until then, remember to give Jeremy Renner something to do. Just give him like a scene or Until two. Until <laughs> then, don't you think Jeremy Renner's head looks a little bit like a potato? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is, he is. It's like a big old rustic potato, isn't it's it? It's like a big old red potato, right? With like a little potato gosh. for a nose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it. <laughs>